Well, we're back in Hebrews today, chapter 8. Uh, the, the opening pages of Scripture uh, in the Old Testament book of Genesis show us that we are people, right? We're, we're human beings created in the image of God, male and female. He created us in His own image. And, and we are created in His image to bear His image, and we're created for relationship, Relationship with God, relationship with one another. Um, and, and the language, uh, the biblical language uh, for relationship, and specifically relationship with God, is that of covenant. Covenant. Uh, God always relates to his people in covenant relationship. And a covenant uh, is kind of a word that gets lost on us a little bit in our culture a lot of the time. Uh, a covenant is an enduring agreement uh, that establishes or formalizes a defined relationship between people that is accompanied by oaths, promises, and signs. So marriage. Marriage is a great example of what should be a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship, right? Uh, in God's design, by God's design, marriage is a, to be a lifelong relationship between one man and one woman uh, that is entered into by making a, a vows to God and to one another, promises, oaths, right? Uh, that promising to live as husband and wife together. And in our culture, what, what do we do? We, we exchange rings as a sign of that covenant. It's a, it's a physical symbol that, that we have covenanted our lives together as husband and wife, right? God is covenantal, and in his very nature as a triune God, the triune God, one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in a covenantal community as one God. And so the way that God relates to his people is through covenant. It's in his very nature. So throughout the Old Testament, we see a series of covenants that, that God makes with his people. He, he makes a covenant with Adam in the opening pages of Genesis. It, there's a covenant with Noah, a covenant with Abraham, a covenant with Moses, a covenant with David. And for the original audience of this sermon that is the book of Hebrews, uh, these first century Jewish Christians... Uh, the, these covenants were of great importance, but the author has been working in these chapters to show us that they were all pointing to Jesus, who mediates a better covenant. But why is that important for you and me? Why should we care? We're not Jewish. Why do we care about this? Well, going back again to those opening pages, those opening chapters of Genesis, we see that we were made to live in covenant relationship with God. Yet we also quickly see our inability to do just that. We can't do it. Sin enters the world in Genesis 3 at the fall of man, and sin has plagued us ever since. And sin, our choosing to, to pursue self ahead of God, our, our choosing to do our way instead of God's way, sin separates us from God. From God who is perfectly holy, righteous, and just. In fact, it is only because God is covenantal in nature that he continues to pursue us in relationship through the, the old covenant of the Old Testament. But our sin remains a problem, creating this cosmic chasm between us and God. And in our sin, we find ourselves oppressed by an evil trinity of fear shame, and guilt. Right? Like our first parents in Genesis chapter 3. 
We see these three at play in their response immediately after their sin. In fear, they immediately hide themselves from God. In shame, they recognize their nakedness and they attempt to cover it by sewing fig leaves together. And in their guilt, they're constantly shifting the blame. It was the serpent that made me do it. It was the woman that you gave me, God, that made me sin. In our guilt, we shift the blame. And just like our our first parents, we too, we wrestle with fear, shame, and guilt because of our sin. And sin and the fear, shame, and guilt that it produces destroys covenant relationship. It destroys intimacy and moves us to pretend, to hide, to perform, to try to cover over, rather than knowing and being known. Without dealing with sin and the fear, shame, and guilt that it produces, covenant relationship becomes impossible for us. But we have a better priest in Jesus Christ who deals with our sin once and for all and mediates a better covenant that comes with better promises, opening the way again for us to live with God in covenant relationship. That's what we see in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles if you're not there already and stand with me for the reading of God's word. Hebrews chapter 8, hear the word of the Lord. Now the point in what we're say- we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of, majest- of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest." For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. 
and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your covenantal love, for your grace, for your mercy that moves you to pursue us even when we do everything to wreck any chance at a relationship with you. Thank you for sending your son who, who comes to pay our debt and mediate a better covenant and, and offer restored, intimate, deep relationship with you again. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd help us to see the beauty of Christ today. You'd help us to see the, the wonder of what he offers us. And Lord, you'd help us to cling to you in faith to know you and be known by you, to be free from sin and fear and shame and guilt and to live in restored right relationship for your glory and our joy. We pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. You may have a seat. Well, in this passage, we see that we have a better priest who mediates a better covenant that comes with better promises. We see, first we see that we have a, a better priest. The author and preacher of Hebrews here cannot be any more clear. This is the point he is trying to make, right? He, he says it like that. Uh, Hebrews, as we have seen already, can be a, a book that's a little difficult to interpret, to understand. Uh, it's a little challenging. It has some challenging passages that we have to tackle and, and get through. But this doesn't get any more clear than what he says in verse 1. This is the point, right? This is the point of what I'm trying to say to you. In other words, the past seven chapters have been showing us our need for a better priest. And the author's point is that Jesus is that better priest. Here he is. That's what we have in him. We have exactly what we need in Jesus. We've spent several sermons uh, already kind of comparing the priesthood of Jesus to that of the old covenant Levitical priests. And so we're not going to dive too deeply into that and invite you to go back and and listen to some of those other sermons if you want. Uh, But but we're simply going to kind of summarize the big idea here. We need a better priest because our sin separates us from God. Therefore, we need a priest who will go between us and God and offer a sacrifice on our behalf to God to to pay for our sins, to restore us into right relationship and, and make right relationship possible again. But the old covenant priests were never capable of accomplishing this, of fully accomplishing this because they themselves were sinful people. But as we've already seen, they, they weren't meant to deliver beginning of chapter 7, you know, the the perfection, right? They weren't meant to deliver this perfection and restored relationship for us, but but rather they were meant to show us our need, our need to be forgiven, our need to be restored in right relationship, our need for a better priest who could actually deliver all of this. And here the preacher of Hebrews is telling us very clearly, Jesus is that better priest. And here's how we can know that he is. He is right now seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. The right hand of the throne, right? In in ancient cultures, that's a position of authority, of, of supreme honor. 
right? The person who, who sat at the right hand of the king was, was usually some sort of uh, kind of co-regent with the king. Uh, again, Jesus is a priest king, we've talked about this before, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And his being seated is significant because no priest ever ministers while being seated. They're standing, they're moving, they're constantly serving, offering, burning, sacrifice. Uh, they're constantly ministering, but they're, but they're never seated. But yet here is Jesus serving as our priest while seated at the Father's right hand. While the old covenant priest's sacrifices merely pointed to our need for a greater sacrifice offered by a better priest, Jesus being seated declares that in offering himself as the better, perfect sacrifice for our sins on the cross when he died in our place, that, that Jesus has once and for all dealt with our sins and his sacrifice has been accepted. Everything is accomplished. It's finished, as he declares, from the cross. He has done everything. Jesus has done everything required to secure our forgiveness and to reconcile us to God in restored relationship. For being both fully God and fully man, Jesus alone is in the position to do this. He alone is able to do what no one else could do. He could pay for all our sins because of his divinity and his perfection. And he could represent us and be an offering for us because of his, his humanity. He could pay for all our sins in a single cosmic sacrifice once and for all. His being seated displays that he has indeed paid it all. And that means that anyone, anyone who is in Christ has been set free from the power of sin and death. You've been set free, Christian, from the power of sin and death. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Are you living like that? Anyone who's in Christ has been set free from the power of sin and death. That anyone who is in Christ has no need to be plagued with fear because of their sin. No need to run and hide. For our sins have been brought out into the light already. And they have been dealt with already, once and for all, in the finished work of Christ. You have been set free from that fear. If you're in Christ, you no longer need to be ruled by shame. Or you can take off the mask and quit pretending. Because your sins have been dealt with once and for all at the cross of Christ. They no longer define you. You're defined by the finished work of Christ. His righteousness. Not your sin. And so you're free. You're free to confess. To be honest about your struggles. And rest in his grace. Covered by his blood. If you're in Christ, your guilt is gone. It's gone. He's taken it. He's suffered for it in your place. The full cup of God's wrath meant for you and your sin. He has taken for you. And he's clothed you, covered you in his own righteousness. And when God looks at you, he sees Christ. Perfect righteousness. He's seated. 
So the work of paying for your sins and dealing with your fear, shame, and guilt has been finished. With Christ's perfect life lived in your place, his sacrificial death on the cross for your sins, and his glorious resurrection. He is seated. That is significant. That is significant. And yet seated there, he continues to minister. He continues to work for you on your behalf to intercede for you as your better priest. He continues to to intercede for you there, praying there at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. He continues to pray there for you that you would believe and continue to trust in his finished work. That you would know who you are in him. That you would more and more live in that reality of who you are now in him, living increasingly free from sin and the evil trinity of fear, shame, and guilt. What an encouragement we have here. And, and there's more, much more in this passage here, but for the sake of time, I'm, I'm just going to mention this in passing. But, but Jesus does his priestly work in a better sanctuary, uh, the true most holy place, the, the true tent, not an earthly tabernacle or temple that's constructed by human hands, but in the throne room of heaven that's set up by God himself. All of this old covenant stuff we're being told in this, these, these verses, the, the Levitical priests, the tabernacle, the sacrificial system, they are all copies and shadows pointing us to Jesus, the better priest. And as the better priest, Jesus mediates a better covenant. Uh, Look with me again, verses 6 and 7. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Again, covenant. Covenant is not a common word, uh, so we need to remember what we're talking about here. Uh, most people when, in our culture, if we ask them, what is a covenant? They probably try to define covenant by comparing it to a contract. Well, it's a contract, right? It's a contractual agreement. Sadly, uh, too many people in our culture and too many people in the church actually treat covenantal relationships, specifically marriage, like a contractual relationship. But, but that's, that's, not, that's a failed attempt at defining covenant. Covenant is not a contract because a covenant relationship is really like a totally binding and yet totally intimate relationship simultaneously. Contractual relationships are binding, but they're not usually very intimate. Right? They come with stipulations that if they're not met, contract is broken and we're done. Not a lot of intimacy. Culturally, we, we like to try to keep personal, the personal separated from the legal and the formal. But that's not how the Bible does it. In fact, the Bible says the more intimate, the more delightful, the more personal a relationship is, the more binding, the more solemn, and the more legal it should be. That's how the Bible treats it. A covenant isn't a contract, right? To a, approach a marriage like a contract, which again, too many couples, even in the church, do this, is to say, I will be what I should be to you so long as you are what you should be to me. But the moment that you are not what you should be to me, I'm out. That's a contract. That is not a covenant. 
But if that's how you approach marriage or, or any sort of relationship, personal relationship, a friendship, right, you will quickly find that relationship being, becoming cold and distant and there will be no intimacy. Just pseudo-intimacy, masquerading. Because there can be no real in- intimacy without giving up autonomy. You can't have intimacy without binding yourself and limiting yourself. But if instead you start a marriage by saying to one another, I will be what I should be to you, whether you are what you should be to me or not. I will be what I should be, even if you're failing to be what you should be. I'm going to put your needs ahead of my needs. I'm going to bind myself to you. I'm going to love you and care for you and be kind to you, whether I feel like it or not. If you start a marriage like that, then it will be a place where intimacy grows and flourishes. Do you know why? Because it's safe. There's safety in covenant. When you pledge yourself to someone, no matter what, it brings safety. There's freedom to be yourself. There's freedom to fail. And there's freedom to love and be known. The more committed a relationship is, the more intimate it will become because the more safe it is. It gives you freedom to be weak and invites you to be vulnerable and share your heart. You can open up in a covenant. Only and to the degree that you're willing to give up your independence and autonomy can you know the freedom of an intimate relationship. And, and that's really kind of the paradox of human relationships if you think about it. And that's the nature of a covenantal relationship. And we're being told that Jesus mediates a better covenant, a new covenant, a new binding intimate relationship with God. The old covenant was seen in the covenants God made in the Old Testament, most notably with Abraham and Moses. And the old covenant was flawed. It was not flawed in what it spelled out in the law's requirements because the law is good. Scriptures tell us that. Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 7. The law is good. But it was flawed in that the people could not keep and continue in the covenant. That's what it says in verse 9. The people did not continue in my covenant and I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. That's a covenant of religion. It spelled out God's holiness. It spelled out what God requires of his people. But the people being sinful were incapable of keeping the covenant. But this extensive quote that we see here in verses 8 through 12, it actually comes, it's directly taken from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, where you can see there in Jeremiah, even in the midst of the old covenant, the old covenant was anticipating, expecting a new covenant. It was looking forward to the arrival of a better covenant uh, that was coming. The old covenant anticipated and predicted the faithfulness of God to keep his covenant faithfulness and to pursue his people and provide a way for them to live in restored covenantal relationship with him. Um, In contrast to the old covenant of religion, here's my law, 
here's what I require, go do it, right? And of course, the people fail, and we're met with verse 9, and God saying, I showed no concern with them. In contrast to that, the new covenant can be summed up with the words of verse 12, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Our greatest problem is sin, for it it severs us from the presence of God. It cuts us off from relationship to him. Yet God promised to reconcile sinful people to himself through the better priest who would mediate a new and better covenant. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, accomplished this, fulfilling the purpose of a, a new and better covenant. God is merciful toward his people because Jesus suffered and died in their place. He paid for your failure to live out the covenant. And they are now hidden in him. God's people, those who are in Christ, are now hidden in Christ by virtue of their repentance and faith. Restored, right, intimate, and binding relationship is available again through faith in Jesus. Now, some of you might protest, right? And you might say, why is it that I always have to adjust my ways to God's ways? Why do I always have to adjust to God? Why isn't it that God can't adjust himself to me ever? And if that's you, I want you to see here in these words, chapter 8 of Hebrews. Yeah, God absolutely calls you to adjust yourself to him. But he has adjusted to you as well. Cosmically, infinitely on the cross. He adjusted to your sinfulness. He said, I'm going to be faithful to you, even if you're not faithful to me. Do you know what that cost Jesus to do that? On the cross, Jesus was forsaken. He suffered the covenant curse of verse 9 on the cross for you. Jesus himself kept the covenant perfectly. Perfect obedience to God. Every letter of the law, right? Every I dotted, every T crossed. He kept it all. He kept it all. He was perfectly obedient, yet God turned his face away. Why? The answer is that Jesus got the covenant curse so that you and I could get the covenant blessing unconditionally and eternally. When you realize what Jesus did for you, that he would take his own covenant curse so he could say to you, even when you sin, I will remember your sins no more. The more binding the covenant, the more intimate the relationship can be. And these are the lengths that that Jesus went to to bind himself to you. How intimate could this relationship be? The possibilities are astounding. Jesus is the better priest who mediates a better covenant that comes with better promises. Look, look again at verses uh, 10 through 12. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one to his neighbor Uh, And each one his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. 
for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. The first thing we see here is that the new covenant promises a renewed mind and a renewed heart. And while the old covenant was, was just patently external, providing no internal power to, to live it out, the new covenant comes to us with an, an inward renewal, an enlivening uh, courtesy of the Holy Spirit who awakens our hearts to cling to Christ and then indwells us to continue to empower us to grow by grace, to increasingly live out with new minds and new hearts, to live in this covenant relationship, joyfully loving, serving Christ. We, we see this reality summed up in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Inward renewal. There's a promise of inward renewal that empowers us to more and more live in light of Christ's covenantal love and grace toward us. There's also the promise of relationship. Everyone who is in Christ will know the Lord, will have intimate knowledge and relationship with God. And, and, and what we will know will only make us long to know more about him, to grow in that knowledge of God. But this knowledge of God is, is not limited to just some religious elites, uh, to people with seminary degrees. It's available to all, to all, from the least to the greatest. There's an equality to this knowledge of God. This relationship, it is available to anyone through faith in Christ. God grants intimate access to the creator and the sustainer of the universe to any who would put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Not only is there the promise of relationship but, to God, but, but there's also the promise of belonging to, to the people of God, to the people of God. God doesn't say that we are to be his collection of persons or individuals, but rather we are his people. You shall be my people. God gives himself to us in the person and work of Christ and he takes us to himself as his people. We belong to him and we belong to one another in Christ. We are his people, the new humanity of every nation, tribe, and tongue that the Christ brings together through faith in him, through his finished work. We are not left on our own as isolated individuals relating to God, but we belong now to the people of God in the church. We read this last week. We quoted this verse last week and read together even in our liturgy, 1 Peter 2.9. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's a promise of belonging. Belonging to a people. You are God's people. You belong to one another. And finally, there's a promise of forgiveness. In Christ, our sins are dealt with fully and finally. They are not simply covered up for a set time, but God promises to forgive our sins and remember them no more. Your memory... Uh, some of you in the room, as we're getting a little older, right? Your memory may be slipping at times, uh, but God's memory is incomparable. He never forgets anything. Never. He never missed an appointment, right? He never forgets anything 
In fact, he cannot forget unless he wills to do so. There's a reality that any sin that God remembers must be punished because God is perfectly holy and righteous and just. And when sins are not remembered, as F.F. Bruce says, it is because his grace has determined to forgive them, not in spite of his holiness, but in harmony with it. And that is what God in Christ has done for the Christian. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, God remembers your sins no more. Christian, you are not defined by your sin. You have been set free, which means you're free from fear and guilt and shame. You're free to confess. You're free to be vulnerable, to be honest, free to draw near to God, even in your struggle. And his heart is to draw near to you in your sin and your suffering not to be repelled by you. Look at what Christ has done. He draws near to you and invites you to draw near to him. Not to hide, not to pretend, but to draw near and rest in his grace. If you realize that that God is this personal and not remote and distant, you realize what a wonderful invitation this is. C.S. Lewis in, in Miracles has this quote about, you know, kind of the, the, the abstract person out there searching for God. And he says in that search for God, right, an impersonal God, well and good. A subjective God of beauty, truth, and goodness inside my head, better still. A formless life force surging through us, a vast power which can, we can tap best of all. But God himself, alive, pulling at the other end of the cord, perhaps approaching at an infinite speed, the hunter, king, husband, that is quite another matter. He goes on to say that that person searching for God may start to realize, what if I actually find him? Or worse yet, what if he finds me? The truth is, If God is this personal, you have to relate to him. He has found you. You cannot escape him. And when this world and everything else in it passes, the only thing that that will be there is him. There is no way around it. But friends, if God is this personal, why wouldn't you want to relate to him? Why wouldn't you want to relate to a God who would go to these lengths to bring you in, to draw you in to relationship with him? What incredible access, what intimacy, what freedom he has made available to you. Look at Jesus. See what he's done for you. Isn't he beautiful? Don't you want to draw near to him as he has drawn near to you? Heavenly Father, we thank you for for not being a God who who simply instructs us to come into this place and do all this stuff, but instead says to us, I am your Father, and you are my children by grace. Come and talk. Come and feast at my table. Father, help us 
understand what it means to live in covenant relationship with you. Lord Jesus, help us to to rest in the grace that you have secured for us. Help us to live in the freedom that you have won for us. Holy Spirit, renew our hearts. Enable us to know and believe that we are God's children, that we are not marked or defined by our sin, that we are free from fear and guilt and shame, free to confess, free to rest in your grace. Help us to live in this freedom and this joy, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.